0: Have you ever wondered what your life might look like if, rather than working around God, you worked with God? You ever wonder what your life might look like if, rather than looking back or maybe looking forward or looking at a current circumstance and trying to figure out how you're going to maybe work around God, what would it look like to work with God? Well, our passage today is going to tackle that kind of question, and so I'd invite you uh, to turn in a Bible to 1 John chapter 3, uh, and for those of you here in the West Auditorium, there's some Bibles here in the pew rack you can use, in the East Auditorium they have some as well, and at home hopefully you have something uh, that you can look to as well. And if you're newer with us in any of those spaces, my name is Brian, and I look forward to looking at what uh, 1 John has to say uh, to us as we've been looking through the books of 1 John as well as 2 John and 3 John uh, in this series, Because Love, and the the whole goal of John's letters that he's written to churches that we're recipients of is really to get back to the foundations of what the Christian faith is all about. They had, uh, there were some kind of messed up teachings and some, kind of, uh, some heresy that had infiltrated the church. And so he's writing to correct that. And the best way to correct false teaching in the church is just simply to provide true teaching, the truth. And so we see the foundations of the Christian faith, uh, which is always a great place for us to go. And I, and I, don't, I don't call it the basics, because I think sometimes the basics are the things we, oh, the basics, you know, I, I did that and, and I move on from that. But foundations uh, are with us always. And so this is the foundations of the Christian faith. And the way we've been looking at it is looking at some of our own, you could say, maybe incorrect, false understandings of how we maybe have slipped into in our own understanding of how God works and how we relate to God. And sometimes slipping into what we might call, uh, we've been calling it over the last several weeks, a a good enough cycle where, you know, maybe if I do what God tells me and I love God and I love other people, then maybe uh, it'll be enough that he'll be pleased with me. It's like, you know, I know he loves me unconditionally, but it's like, you know, is he, does he really, like, like, me? Does he, is he pleased with me? And that's a backwards way of thinking. That's putting the arrows the other direction on that little diagram. Because it says in 1 John 4.10, really kind of our anchor understanding of this reality is, it says, not that we love, but because he first loved us because he first loved us. And then really out of the overflow of that, we then, we talked last week about the arrow that comes out of loved by God, that we accept his love. And then as the implications of that, then we love God in return. And then we love one another in his church, love others, uh, trusting that his Holy Spirit is at work through all of that to lead others to know the love of God and so on and so forth. And so today we're going to focus on love God. If I get my, there it is. Boom. I think I can catch it. It's like, that one right there, boom. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what it looks like to love God. And that's what First John three twenty three and 24 uh, talks about. So it gives us a little bit of review of where we've been and then it steps us into what does it look like to then return the love that God has for us onto him. So 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 23. It says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. It says that the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Okay, so working back through those simple two verses, it says first, and this is his command to believe. And we talked about that last week. What does it mean to believe? It's this holistic understanding to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, His Son, as both Savior and Lord. And then from there it says, and to love one another as He has commanded us. And so that's huge, to love others and to love one another, and we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. But today, we're going to be based out of verse 24, where it simply says, the one who Who keeps God's commands, well, then that person lives in him and he in them. A few verses later in 1 John 5 3, John says it this way He says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And then in 2nd John and 3rd John we've been saying this is 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. Yet we haven't heard much from 2nd and 3rd John. Well, really those are pretty short letters. They're each just one chapter, each just 13 verses long, and they're actually follow-up letters to 1st John just saying, "Okay, let me just hit the highlights of what's most important and encourage you in what I said in the first letter," to which he reiterates these two points in 2nd John 6. Now I know that sounds confusing for whatever reason in Bible talk when there's no more than one chapter, you don't say the chapter. You don't say 2 John 1, 6. you just say 2 John and then the verse 6. I don't know. To me, it always feels like, hey, you want to grab lunch in June, 1230? <laughs> it just doesn't feel right, but that's the way it rolls. Okay, 2 John 6. It says, and this is love. That we walk in obedience to his commands. To love God is to live in obedience to his commands. And it says, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love, that it's all because of God's definition of love. And then one more, 3 John 3, it says, it's verse 3, it says, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I love this, I have no greater joy. You have made my day, you've made my life. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And then one other verse, John 14, 15. This is John's account of the life and the ministry of Jesus where he quotes Jesus himself. So it doesn't get more straightforward than this. Jesus himself says it this way. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Other translations say, obey my commands. If you love me, keep or obey my commands. And so this makes relative sense to this idea of keeping or obeying God's commands. You know, if you um, are the God of the universe and you've created it all, then it would be logical that you'd have some understanding of how the whole thing works. And if you're going to follow me, if you will, into that, you know, the God of the universe, then here's how that looks. Here are my ways. Here is my will. Here are my commands. Um, But maybe you've experienced this tension that, you know, you... Perhaps uh, you had a situation where you kind of woke up to the fact that you needed to pay more attention to God's ways, God's commands. Maybe, honestly, maybe you just messed it up royally at some point. You're just like, man, I have got to get this together. Or maybe you, you know, read something in, uh, you know, some Bible reading at some point. Or maybe even when you accepted Jesus for the very first time or got baptized, you thought, yeah, I'm going to change this or I'm going to change that. Or maybe uh, in your Grow Together small group, you had a, a great time together it's like, yeah, now I'm going to go and this. Or maybe students, you know, coming out of student life or your small group, it's like you were challenged. It's like, yeah, starting a Monday at school, I'm, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. Or you hear a sermon on a Sunday and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm going to. But then by... Tuesday, it's like, man, things really do seem strangely the same, or maybe ironically, even more difficult. And so it's like, you know, I, I you know, I've read the Bible. I, you know, I've even got that verse memorized. You know, Second Corinthians five seventeen. In Christ, you are a new creation. The new has come. The old has gone then why is it so often that things don't feel, if we're honest, all that new? You could say it this way, maybe tying our our series together to this point, that the decision to accept Jesus, while it takes place in a moment, the direction of following Jesus, that is a lifelong movement. Movement. That accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord is absolutely, it's a decision in a moment, at a point in time, but it leads to a lifelong movement in a new direction. It's a whole new path. And if we miss this, if we miss that second half of that line that was on the screen, if we miss that it is a lifelong movement, that it is not uh, a microwaved movement, it is not a path that you can Amazon Prime and get it all figured out, you know, between Sunday and Tuesday, if we miss this, if we fall susceptible, you know, to this idea that we should be able to do this in an instantaneous way, well, then we fall into the trap of thinking then We failed which leads to all kinds of other conclusions. Well, I decided to, but it didn't work, or I was going to start doing this, but I keep failing at that. And we feel like we've failed at this Christian lifelong journey thing because the moments aren't always working out. And so the deceiver, Satan, that's that's what his name literally means. He, he, He wants us to miss this. He wants... He doesn't lie to us head on like God's ways are dumb. No, he he, he deceives us in thinking you're not good enough. Like Adam and Eve, did God really say? It's these deceitful lies that even though the decision to accept Jesus takes place in a moment... We cannot miss that the direction of following Jesus is a lifelong movement, a journey up and down that we know. We said last week that, if we, that when we fall, when we stumble, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful when we confess to forgive us our sins. And so we're living out this journey that a moment's decision for Jesus, apart from, we could say it this way, a moment's decision for Jesus, when we miss this, apart from a movement in a lifelong direction, that ends up resulting in short-term obedience, and instead, long-term frustration. When we miss this, when we miss the lifelong movement, the lifelong journey, we miss that a moment's decision for Jesus, apart from a lifelong journey, a lifelong movement in that direction, will result in, and you've experienced this, short-term obedience and long-term frustration. Eugene Peterson, he calls it uh, this idea of following Jesus, of this movement, of discipleship, uh, becoming a devoted follower of Jesus, as we say in our whole reason we exist as a church. He calls it a long obedience in the same direction. He actually wrote a whole book on it. The book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. (laughs) And the byline is discipleship, in an instant society. And uh, I haven't read the book, I'm sure it's good. Um, I've read the title, it's good. <laughs> a Long Obedience in the Same Direction, because it is true that discipleship looks different than what we see in our instant society. Because that Christian life, yes, it is a decision to accept Jesus that takes place in a moment, but it is a direction of following Jesus in a lifelong movement, and when we miss this, then a moment's decision for Jesus, apart from a lifelong movement in his direction, will result in short-term obedience, but ultimately long-term frustration. And so, how do we avoid that? How do we not live in frustration and short-term obedience? How do we live out this long obedience In the same direction. How do we live a life that's living in His ways, obeying and keeping His commands, as He says? Well, the first thing that we have to do at some level is actually, you could say, believe God's commands. Yes, of course, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Savior and the forgiver of our sin for when we mess it up and when we will mess it up, but he's the Lord of our lives leading us. But within all that, kind of getting underneath that, um, you could put. It, I, I heard it this way, actually, in a sermon very early in my Christian journey. Uh, I don't remember what the pastor was talking about exactly. He was talking about some sort of command that we were supposed to keep, and I don't remember what the command was. But I do remember the question that he asked after his teaching. And he simply just asked this. He said, Now, do you believe that God's ways are really the best ways for your life? He wasn't asking about the command. He's just talking about putting an umbrella over all it. Do you actually believe that God's will and ways, what he lays out, that his command, do you actually believe that God's ways really are the best ways? for your life. And maybe you don't. You know, I mean, I will say that I have come to believe and continue to want to grow in that understanding that I believe that as a child of God, loved by God, that as a good parent, a good father, that he wants what's best for me and what he's laid out is best for me, even when I don't fully understand it, as we know children can be and do. But I've discovered, I've discovered in my life, I would say I've learned that it actually is the best kind of life to not run around envying other people's stuff and situations and to instead pursue contentment and thankfulness for what God has provided. I've discovered that it really is the best kind of life to not contribute to or get caught up in gossip. That when God says the best kind of life is a, a, is a life of character, integrity, that you could say is a truth teller rather than a life that gets buried in lies, I, I think he, it really is the best kind of life to live. And I've discovered that when I, more and more that I try on his ways, the more I discover that he really does have what's best. And when I don't, I discover that it doesn't tend to be the best way. First John 5.3, when it comes to God's commands, uh, it's, we, we looked at it a little bit earlier, it says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands but then that verse goes on and says, and his commands are not burdensome. They're not designed to be a burden, to be a drag, to ruin your life, to take the fun out. Uh, I love the way that Proverbs 3 says it. It says that when we keep God's will and ways, it says that when you lie down, like at night, he says you won't be afraid. When you lie down, you're asleep. Will be sweet, that there's something about living in God's best ways for your life that isn't a burden, but designed to be a blessing, a gift. Sometimes we separate, it's like, well, it's grace and truth. You got to have grace and truth, as if grace is a grace and truth is something different. It's all a grace. His forgiveness, his grace, his saviorness, and his ways, his will, his lord of our life. It's all a gift. And so the question, do you, do I, to, to personally, do, ask yourself, do I believe that God's ways are really the best ways for my life? A simple little self-test for you to, to kind of answer this beyond just a generic level um, could really come down to, you could say, your usage of when it comes to God's commands, your usage of the word But. Now, every fifth grade boy just giggled a little bit, and I'm okay with that. But I'm talking about B-U-T. B-U-T. If when you read God's commands, his will, his ways, as he lays out in his word, his direction for you, does your response include a, well, but? Like, for example, you might say, well, I know I shouldn't, blank, but. Or, I know I should, but, or, you know, I know I, sh- I shouldn't say this, but, or, I know, he, she, I know, no good for me, but, and I know I, I shouldn't watch that stuff, but, I know I have no business going there, but, You know, I know what God says about about money, but I know I should forgive, but, you know, I I know sex is something that's supposed to be saved for marriage, but kids, students, I know I should obey and honor my parents as that's how I'm supposed to obey and honor God, but, or I know kids, I, I I shouldn't cheat on that test, but, but, Whenever an issue in your life arises where the what to do is clear, but you could say that the why amounts to nothing more than, well, because the Bible says, then what you have discovered is an area of your life where you are not convinced that God's way is best for you. or And that's at best. At worst, you might see God's will and ways as actually standing in the way of what you believe is actually best for you. That in there, in that but, there is something about God's commands that you either don't understand the why or you do not believe at best about his why for you. And if in your life you ever hope to break free then of short-term obedience and long-term frustration, Well, then you need to figure out what that something is. You need to figure out what it is about God's will and ways that you don't believe is best for you. And so, how do we do that? Well, the first thing we do with that, or I guess now it's the second thing, is actually something that you don't do. That when it comes to discovering God's will and ways and what's best for you, the first thing you don't do from there is actually do not... You could say lower God's commands. Do not lower, do not lessen, do not compromise, do not water down, do not work around God's commands. Do not lower God's commands. Um, I remember uh, growing up playing basketball and uh, when we got a basketball hoop that was uh, at 10 feet. And I remember, I think, fifth, sixth grade, you're just looking at that thing as a kid and you're like, man, that is so high. Uh, but as you get a little taller, um, the hoop doesn't come down, but you get a little closer. And I remember when we could first hit the net. You guys remember that when you could just jump up just now? You can swat the net. That's kind of a big day, you know, when, when you're a little kid. And then as you get a little older, like into junior high, then if you're, you know, were able to, then you could talk about and brag about how I got backboard. I got backboard. If you were really, what was really fun to do in junior high, if you could get backboard is you would do a layup and then you'd slap the backboard like as you're coming down just to, it'd be like the equivalent of like just jamming on somebody in the NBA. It was just like a big day for a middle school kid. Uh, I remember my mom, it just drove her nuts because uh, the height of the net and the board was about the same height as our doorways. And so I'd just go around the house just boom, just slap in every doorway that I walked through. and just like these little peanut butter and jelly hand marks all over her door frames, drove her absolutely nuts. Uh, but I remember playing some one-on-one basketball with my dad and being pretty excited, I'm like, you know, dad, watch out, I can, I can get the backboard now. To which, she shot back pretty quick. He's like, yeah, I hear they're paying a lot in the NBA for that these days. <laughs> Check your ball. So, 10 feet seems pretty high, but then... You get one of those basketball hoops, if you've ever got one that, yeah, it goes to 10 feet, but if you've ever gotten your hands or a kid gets their hands on a basketball hoop that is adjustable. What does a kid do within six seconds of getting an adjustable basketball hoop? Yeah. Seven feet. Seven feet. Because it just changes the game. It's like, yeah, we, and so we're doing, we're slamming, we're, you know, we can't miss. We're like, get the camera. We're unstoppable at seven feet of height on a rim. And I would say this, that in our Christian journey, all too often, all too often in our Christian faith, we want to lower the hoop. You know, we want to lower God's commands where we can, you could say slam dunk being this Christian thing in our own strength, in our own limited vertical. Because the temptation to say, I man, 10 feet, that's just too high. God's commands, they're just too high. You know, at best, backboard, but usually maybe just net, if at all. It's just too high. Can't do it. Well, can I tell you that when it comes to God's commands, you could say it this way that God's commands, they are not set at 10 feet. They're actually set at like 10,000 feet, that the whole point was that and is that you can't get to the rim in your own strength, that all that God has for you, all that he wants to do in you and through you, was never designed for you to be able to achieve in your own strength. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit at work within you. 1 John three twenty four again, says, the one who keeps, does not lower, keeps God's commands, that is the person that is living in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. That instead of lowering God's commands, we are to live in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly but we're going to do all that we can, more than we can ask or imagine, it says in Colossians, by the power that lives within us, that we are going to follow him to his level as, as his strength, not our own. And when we miss it, First John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And he gets us back up and we keep pursuing. But we don't lower his commands. Instead, it's by his power that we step into. And then thirdly, we put on His commands. We put on God's commands that he has given us. Ephesians chapter four, uh, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to church, basically giving them a list of saying, hey, here's what these things look like without the butts. Here's what it looks like. You gotta do this, you're gonna do that. This is what God has for you. And in the middle of a, a pretty extensive list that you could come up with a few yeah butts or be tempted to you know, lower the commands altogether, he says this. The apostle Paul, he says, remember, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. It that, it's that, it's still bites at your heels, but instead, be made new. Be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on, he says, the new self. Yes, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come that started in an instant, but it's a lifelong journey where you're regularly putting on the new self where you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You put off. It's active. It's not a checkbox. It's something you're doing. You are daily, moment by moment. You need the every hour. You are putting off the old self as you are putting on him, the new self, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so, if we're going to put on something new, well then it's logical that we actually have to have something new to put on. And that is God's commands. That is his will and his ways, which are found in his word. We want to put on his word in our life. Psalm 119, 105, we read it earlier together as a congregation, it says, your word It's a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. That when it comes to this lifelong path that your word, it says it's a lamp for my feet as in like each step of the way and the next step. But it's also this light that shows you the path, the direction that it is going. It is a lamp for each step. It is a light for the path. And so I would say, just real practically, if you haven't uh, put on 1 John, Second John, Third John uh, in the last couple of weeks, and this would be a great week to read that and put that on. And if you've already read it, you can read it again. It talks about, in God's Word, storing that up in our hearts. We don't get that with just one read-through. And if you've read that enough, then you know, move on and get another reading plan. Uh, the, the whole point is that we're going to put on the Word of God. Uh, the Apostle Peter in his letter to churches, he says to clothe yourself in his will and his ways. To clothe yourself. As I think about clothing, uh, I, I, I think back to, fortunately, I get to think back in my life because we're at a stage now developmentally where we have four kids and all of them dress themselves. Thank you. But there was a stage where that was not the case. And if you've ever, you know, dressed an infant, you know what a challenge that can be. I remember with our oldest daughter, Cole, um, you know, when she was an infant, like, you know, she, I was kinda new to this whole parenting and dressing a kid, and in fairness to her, she was pretty new to the whole life thing, so I didn't have a whole lot of expectations. But I just remember like trying to dress and clothe her. It was like, you know, trying to get her arms to go there. So it was like trying to catch a fish with your bare hands. You know, you'd take aim, try to get that little arm. It was like a, it's, like a, it's like a slinky retractable arm. Like you could never just like push the thing in or get her, you know, you'd figure it out. And it just seemed like she would bend and move, but in every direction other than where it is that I was trying to get her to go. Uh, but eventually we'd accomplished a task. It was never easy. Um, because in fairness to her, she didn't understand the process. However, little by little, she began to catch on. Uh, within a few months, you know, she would, you know, she'd see me coming with the shirt and she'd kind of you know, lean her head where it was supposed to go. And, you know, then before you know it, they were like, like, <laughs> blasting their arm through that little armhole. And it's like, okay. And all of a sudden, she was getting a hang of the process. And, and you could say that she understood the goal. She knew where the whole thing was. Was going, and she caught on that her dad was not against her, but actually wanted what was best for her. It was in her best interest what we were trying to do. And so, similarly, when it comes to this process of following Jesus, movement in a direction, his will and ways, there is a large part that depends on our willingness to cooperate. That is, God is trying to clothe you, 1 Peter 5, 5. He's trying to clothe you with his best interest for your best interest. And honestly, like little babies, we can kind of squirm and wiggle and resist and do everything except go the direction that he wants to. But as a good parent, he doesn't give up. He constantly and consistently works toward directing you toward his best for you. And so while God directs you to clothing you, his best for you, his will and his ways in your life, know that much of that progress will depend on your willingness to participate. That if you believe, that if you try on the possibility that God really does have what's best for you and your best interest as his best interest by the power of his Holy Spirit removing one B-U-T at a time, I would say... Imagine what that life might look like. Imagine your potential in your life. Imagine our potential together as a church. That if instead of working around God, we were working with Him. And what if instead of, you could say, always trying to find the loopholes, we sought out the holes that He has created for our head, for our hands, for our legs, and our feet? And that through those feet, his word will be a lamp each step of the way and a light for our path. And so, for his Holy Spirit's help with that, let's pray and ask for it together. Heavenly Father, we confess where we have foolishly believed that our ways are better. We are tempted regularly. The world and its deceitful desires, as it says in your word, are always clipping at our heels. uh, The evil one trying to deceive us from your best. But in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, not just on a Sunday, but the one that is going to continue to see us past Tuesday, Father, reveal to us that area of life where we have missed your best for us. And may we step out in faith, believing, that as a good father, you have what is best for us. And so we need your help. We can't do this on our own. It's 10,000 feet, and that's the good news because that reminds us that it is only by your power, only in your strength, it says in your word, it's in in our weaknesses that your power is best made known. So let us be weak. Let us be weak because then you get to be strong. And so may it be in the name of Jesus. Amen.